Hi, so my name is Rachel and I will be having a conversation with Robbie for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It is Friday, August 23rd, 2019, and this is being recorded in Robbie's home in the Adirondacks in upstate New York. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> Hi, Robbie. Um, can you tell me your name and your age? So my name is Robbie Migas, and I am 47 years old. Ooh, happy belated birthday, early birthday. Almost 48. Oh! Okay. Um, what are your gender pronouns? Uh, I use she, her, hers. Awesome. Um, how would you describe your gender? How would I describe my gender? Um, I've always known from a very early age that I had a very clear picture of what my gender was. Um, I... I let outside influences allow me to question that from time, you know, over the years. Um, but I always knew I was, I was, I identified as female, as feminine. Um, so it gets, it, it gets awfully modeled though when I think about um, what I, what I want from my version of femininity versus what I always thought the stereotype of it was mm -hmm. um so yeah my picture of femininity has changed since i came out um i came out three years ago um and prior to that it was all very secret nobody you know very few people knew anything about me so i just accepted these stereotypes of what i thought i had to be um and since coming out yeah i'm i'm just developed my my definition of my gender which is still feminine but it's my own version of femininity that i feel like i identify with the most um i i you know i i thought that in order to be accepted as a woman that i would have to model myself after all the other women i see and i think one of the big lessons i've learned in the past three years is that i don't have to model myself after anybody except me i like that quote yeah. <laughs> i don't have to model myself <laughs> after anybody but me um so tell me where you were born i was born in new york city in 1971 um i think it was st john's hospital in queens um but i lived in brooklyn lived in greenpoint brooklyn and who did you live with I lived with my very dysfunctional family. Um, um, I have a an older brother and older sister. Um, we're all very close in age. We're all three years apart. Um, my mother and father. We lived in a very uh, Greenpoint back then was was a very white, very blue collar working class neighborhood. Um, it was Polish. Uh, but there are a lot of Italian and Irish there as well. Um, and my 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 mother grew up in Greenpoint, and my dad grew up in East New York. Um, and at some point, um, he moved to Greenpoint. His his family moved to Greenpoint when he was probably a teenager. 
this is before Greenpoint was like was like a super cool place to live. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you want to tell me a little bit more about what it was like growing up in New York City in the seventies? I can tell you what my experience was. Yeah. Um, again, super blue collar, fairly conservative, very ins. We, we had we were Catholic, mm-hmm. very insulated community. Um, I didn't really know many people outside of my family. We didn't really hang out with other people. I, it was just my family, my my cousins, my aunts and uncles on both sides of the family. Both sides were Catholic. Um, so my notion of, of the world was what Catholicism taught me. Mm-hmm. You know, we went to church every Sunday and, you know, we stood up and we kneeled and we ate, we ate, you know, little bread wafers that I was actually convinced was the actual body of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and then I watched my family just like behave like total assholes during the week mm-hmm. and then go to church and think that all is forgiven. Yeah. And from a really early age, I questioned that. I questioned that notion of like, you could be a really bad human being and then just say, I'm sorry, and then it all goes away. That doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, when did you feel like, so the sense of like Catholicism not feeling true happened when you were pretty young, but were there like experiences with people who were different with you, different than you that like helped crystallize it or is it just from observing your own family i think it was just from observing my own family um and the way that they lived their everyday life you know as opposed to you know living you know this this good charitable open-minded you know loving life it was my early childhood was my father in particular um he was he was a marine you know, was in Vietnam, very, I mean, I'll, throw, I'll throw that buzzword out there, toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. you know. Um, my father was extremely homophobic, extremely racist. Mm-hmm. Um, so that framed my, my childhood from a really early age. He was also an, an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother, um, my father worked for the telephone company. Um, so he worked for, um, New York telephone company and he worked in Manhattan and my mother was a stay at home mom. Um, she didn't have, neither one of them had much education. My father dropped out of high school in 10th grade. Um, my mom finished high school, but never did anything after that. She started having kids right out of high school. Mm So my my world was shaped by what they told me, as most kids are, yeah. you know. But growing up with an extremely homophobic father really, really affected my ability to um, accept myself for who I was. Um, you know, I, I, you know, so 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 little example of of the homophobia that I existed with. Um, I clearly remember my father uh, coming home and bragging to us how he would go down to the village with the people he worked with mm-hmm. and kick the shit out of faggots. Wow. Uh, that's what he told six-year-olds and seven-year-olds, you know. Um, and and this is in like the mid to late 70s yeah. when 
I mean, we think about when Stonewall happened in 1969 and like right. New York City being kind of like maybe a more welcoming or inclusive place for gays and lesbians, especially by the late 70s. But the reality, lived reality for even a kid growing up in, in Greenpoint was that there wasn't that there wasn't, welcoming yeah. and acceptance. Yeah, I think it was pretty. And, <laughs> and I have been mostly sheltered from that community for most of my life because of that. Um, but I think the reality is, is outside of a very small community in a very small area of New York City, there was a lot of violence, a lot of, a lot of discrimination, and a lot of just not understanding, mm -hmm. you know, and that included my family. Um, you know, and this all occurred at a time when, you know, I knew that I knew I was different. Yeah. I knew it. And it's. At the same time, you know, I had my earliest memories of knowing. I also have memories of knowing that I'm, I shouldn't be telling anybody about this, mm -hmm. you know. Do you remember a time when you met someone or saw someone who was different and it was kind of like a moment of where you, you noticed that difference and could see it in yourself too? Wow, good question. Um... I don't have a clear memory of meeting or seeing somebody in person and not on a, a movie screen or a television screen that um, that I identified with as either being gay or lesbian or trans, and probably until I was in high school. Um, again, we you know we even though we lived in the city, we lived in a really white neighborhood, mm -hmm. really just. Just everything was just insulated, and at some point we moved out to to um, my parents got divorced and we moved out to Long Island. Um, and again, we moved out to this Italian neighborhood, white Italian neighborhood in Long Island, where everybody was the same. Yeah, everybody was cis and het and white. Um, you know, so so my first memory was was a kid in high school, who uh, so high school was eighty five to eighty nine. Yeah. Um, and everybody sort of whispered that he was gay and he was effeminate. Um, you know, say the, the, you know, the classic, you know, gay tells of the, you know, back then, but, um, and I, and I saw how everybody treated him, you know, behind his back, they just cut him down and, you know, I didn't witness any like overt displays of like, you know, violence against him or anything, but. I just knew, I knew that what I was was not going to be accepted. Yeah, it was enough to, to send a message to anyone who yeah. knew him and knew how people talked of him. Sure. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Do you, do you have like um? so you talk about seeing people on movie screens or in TV that, that were different, and do you, do you have like a... A first an early encounter a first encounter with someone from like the trans or queer community yeah funny enough um i had this discussion with somebody not too long ago um so again once i knew i once again i knew i was i was different from about three or four years old um and I didn't know how to explain that. I didn't, I didn't know what to call it because, you know, none of those terms really existed back then. Back then, there was a transsexual, 
a transvestite. Mm-hmm. That was that was basically it. Um, and at some point in time, I don't even know what year the Rocky Horror Picture Show came out. Um, I love and it, Rocky Horror. <laughs> I feel like so many people that that is like a data tag in these in right, these interviews yeah. because Rocky Horror is like such a iconic and accessible item. So 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 I have I I have a very very. Maybe unique perspective. I don't know, but um, I watched a little bit of it. You know, probably when it was came out on cable or something for the mm-hmm. first time in like '85 or what? I don't even know when it came out. Yeah. Late '70s, early '80s. I don't know. But when I first saw that character, um, I hated him, uh, and I hated them. I didn't know why at the time. I just knew that, like, I knew that that person who was clearly trying to present female, but also not at the same time, mm-hmm. um, that was sort of my, my, my first exposure to, like, oh, shit, there's somebody who's actually, like, messing with gender right there. Mm-hmm. But I knew I wasn't that. I knew I wasn't that person. Um, and the way they behaved on screen felt to me at the time, it was a, almost like a mockery of everything that I, I couldn't do in my life. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be, I couldn't be open about it. I couldn't, I couldn't be that relaxed about it and just have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it really felt like a mockery. And I felt like, I felt like I was not, that person I was I just I was just a girl yeah I didn't want to be a trans girl I didn't want to be a transvestite or a transsexual I just wanted to be who I knew I was in my head mm-hmm. and to this day I, I've never watched the entire the entire movie because I can't sit through that and watch that image it and this who knows this may be internalized transphobia I have no idea but I get repulsed by my by that image, mm-hmm. and to this like there are things that like fishnet stockings. I won't go near them mm-hmm. because that character wore them in you know in their getup. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's it. Was that? Do you think that's the first time you heard the word transvestite or transsexual? Yes. Yeah, I didn't know what that what that was and that led me to the library um to look up words that i had heard Mm -hmm. and that led me to finding out there was transsexualism Mm -hmm. uh and my and this was like yeah this is like middle school i think wow okay it's like sometime in middle school so like early early 80s mid 80s Hitting hitting puberty yeah totally yeah yeah and so, yeah, once I started, once I'm like, oh, there was other people out there. And then um, I quickly found reference to a book um, by Renee Richards, who was a pro tennis player. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a book called Second Serve. It was about her, about her um, experience back in, the, I think, the 60s or 70s. I'm not sure. I never found the book, but I spent the better part of 20 years be- before the internet 
came out. I spent the better part of 20 years looking for that book because mm-hmm. that was that at the time was the the reference material that I thought was going to tell me everything I needed to know about how to proceed with my life. And I never found it. Renee Richards is is a trans woman who she's a trans woman um who was a pro tennis player and a, i think i believe a doctor at some point but um she transitioned either in the 60s or 70s and then wrote a book about it what did did she transition before she became a tennis player or after mm, after after okay. so she was a she was She's a public well known, figure yeah. and then she transitioned yeah yeah that's so interesting that there was this book that you knew about for so long and and haven't read and haven't found, but I that still you haven't were, read it. You were sure contained like an alternative viewpoint than than Rocky Horror did for you. Yeah, I was totally convinced that like that that book was going to give me my pathway, my pathway to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then shortly after that, like all the the, the talk shows on like. Um, TV, like Phil Donahue and... With Kate Bornstein, right? I don't even know the name of the person. I think but... it was probably Kate Bornstein, because she did a lot of talk shows in the 80s. Yeah. As like an out trans woman. Right. Who was a lesbian, too. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I started seeing people on those talk shows. And again, I was seeing, you know... And a lot of this sounds fucked up in my head now. Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to curse? Yeah, you can curse. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of this sounds really messed up in my head now when I when I think about what I thought about those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows me the level of internalized, again, internalized transphobia that I had for myself back then, which I'm still I'm still working on letting go of. Um, you know, I would see these people who were clearly in a masculine body, in a male body, mm-hmm. dressing up as women, and then getting on stage and pouring their hearts out, you mm-hmm. know? And, and me sitting there as a kid saying, well, I'm not them. I, I don't want to be that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a girl. I'm a girl, and that's not what I want to be. And, I, and that, all these things just kept pushing me away from... Um, coming out and trend you know and transitioning i knew early on in my life that i was going to transition mm-hmm. i really did i just i just denied it for a long time you know and I, I knew early on do you want to talk about that kind of i i was wondering kind of i think sometimes there's like a lot of time along the way to to reach that identity or to like come to full realization of yourself and so it, if you feel comfortable if you want to talk about kind of yeah the journey from from this I mean, fairly young realization of like who you were and then seeing models that didn't kind of fit what you wanted. But then right. between then and three years ago is what happened. Wow. Um, so um, I think when I was about seven years old, um, I had I'd become pretty manic about, about having a penis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hit every, I think I hit everything. I thought I hit everything really well. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember one night, um, you know, I would go to bed and pray to God and I would just wake up a girl, you know, just like, dude, just, just do your thing. Yeah. Like stop fucking around and do your thing. And I never did. And I, I, I got up one morning, super early in the morning before anybody else got up. 
And I said, well, I'm going to face this problem right now. Mm. And I went out to the kitchen and I grabbed a knife and I pulled my pajamas down and I was ready to cut. And uh, I stood there for a long time and then uh, I started thinking about, you know, I just, I got scared. <laughs> I got scared and uh, I dropped the knife and I ran back to my bed and I just cried and cried and cried. Cause I, and that was the first time that I, I, I knew that I was just scared to face reality. You know, I mean, I'm glad I didn't do it. <laughs> uh, that would have been bad, but um, that was a that was a pretty early traumatic event for me. Um, thinking about it now, that was pretty traumatic, um, and that's when I and that's when I knew that I'm like that's when I started to really suppress things. I think before then, it's funny. It's funny, you know, when I came out, I came out to my family first, and. Um, I just assumed nobody knew because I thought I hid everything really it. well. I mean, I was not an effeminate little boy. Mm -hmm. I was, I was the model, I was the model boy. Sports. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, I was small. Um, I was a small kid. Um, I got mistaken for a girl all the time. Um, and I would pretend to be pissed off about it. And secretly I wasn't pissed off about it. Um. But when I, when I came out to my brother and sister, they both had the same response. And both of their responses were, were, yeah, we knew that. And I was like, how, how did you know that? And my brother told me, he's like, you, you used to run around the house all the time screaming to mom that you weren't a boy, you were a girl. And he's like, I caught you dressing up. I caught you stealing Paulette's clothes. My sister is Paulette. Mm -hmm. Stealing her clothes. I'm like, you did? <laughs> and you don't remember this? I have no, no, no idea. I have yeah. no memory of this. I, I have a memory of, um, and I put, and after my brother told me this, I kind of put two and two together. I have a memory. I was probably four or five years old. And I have a memory of my mother. I was screaming at her, bawling my eyes out. And I have a memory, uh, memory of her picking me up and sitting me down on top of the washing machine. Mm -hmm. And her and her aunt, that's, this is such a clear memory for me. Like, my eyes were all watery, and, like, they were all blurry and watery. And it was like I was looking at them through a fisheye lens, and they're both staring at me, and they're laughing at me. Like, horrible laughing at me and I was really upset mm -hmm. and the reason I was upset is because I told I kept telling my mother that I was a girl yeah and they didn't know how to respond to that you know they had no education on anything mm -hmm. nobody did back then so all they could do was laugh I'm like ah, ha 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 you, you think you're a girl it's so cute you know but that's what it was yeah and I think I wiped a lot of that stuff from my early memory um, my both both my brother and sister independently verify that i did lots of things around the house very openly mm -hmm. to tell my parents that i was a girl and not a boy but i don't remember any of it i remember doing things in secret and hiding it all mm -hmm. but i don't remember you know i think i mean i think young kids are from all eight from all periods like will play with gender and like 
will be flexible around gender expression and identity and but they very early pick up on cues about what is appropriate and what's not appropriate and so if you're describing growing up with a homophobic father and the catholic church that like had very clear expectations and a a neighborhood without models like you're gonna learn like okay i'm a boy i need to learn the things that boys do and i need to do those things yeah I, i would ride my 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 big wheel down Guernsey Street in Brooklyn. And what street? Guernsey Street. Guernsey Street, okay. Guernsey Street on the corner of McCarran Park. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I remember like riding that thing down the street and like, you know, trying to be the best kid on the block, pulling the little the little side, side you know, brakes and you would spin out and stuff like that. <laughs> As I was doing that, I'm wondering to myself, do they know? Do, do they know? Like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, maybe every boy goes through this mm-hmm. they question who they are and whether they're a boy or a girl mm-hmm. the, the the thing was is that i wasn't questioning it i knew it yeah i knew i was um but it was all these things that i did to deny the truth of me i'm like well every little boy goes through this it's just a phase you know um i remember doing both of those things at the same time you know playing stickball in the street or scalzi in the street um, yeah. So then what, what was it that three years ago or the things that like led up to three years ago mm. that, that made you come out? That's right. So you asked about the whole period between four years old and 44 years old. <laughs> yeah. It was just a quick 40 year period to talk yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you can talk about it if you want to, but I think, I mean, I think, I think it's interesting to think about how there's this big umbrella identity and, and it, it, it's. It's a very large identity, but then everyone within it has a different yeah. story unto the point that they identify in that umbrella. Yeah. So, so somewhere around puberty, around sexual awakening, um, I awakened to the fact that I was attracted to boys and men. Um, but I also knew I wasn't gay. Uh, I think I probably inherited some of my father's homophobia. Like, how could you not, you know, being in this, like, it was I was just immersed in in like gay hatred, you know, mm-hmm. and I knew I wasn't gay, and it repulsed me to think to have people think that I was gay, and I knew that i I couldn't behave around boys the way I wanted to mm-hmm. um, and it's hard, you know when you don't know anything about this stuff, and there's no terminology to describe it. And mixing up gender and sexuality is really complicated, right? Like, I'm like, why am I attracted to these boys? Like, I'm not gay. But then, you know, every sexual dream I had since I was a child, I was a girl in a dream. Mm -hmm. Having sexual experience with men, you know, it was never the other way around. So I kind of figured out on my own that I was, the reason I was attracted, they're not linked, but it made sense to me. I'm like, yeah, I'm attracted to boys because I'm a girl. You know, not that all girls should be attracted to boys. That's not what I'm trying to say, but it just made sense in my head. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't explain that to anybody else. I couldn't, I couldn't talk about that to anybody else. Um, So I became aware of my sexuality back then, but I also was intensely um, interested in girls and women. Um, 
an intense like study of women and I convinced myself that 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 study of women was a, attraction sexual attraction mm-hmm. um, and I convinced myself of that for a really long time because um, that was easier oh it was so much easier to deal with you know even though I knew from my first sexual experiences that I'm like that was not right <laughs> it's that was a yucky feeling I don't want to feel that again but I'm like well, of course you're gonna feel that again because you're straight and you're cis and you're you're not all these other things but I remember in high school sometime um, there was a Lou Reed song um, walk on the wild walk side. on the wild side and you know all these other songs like Aerosmith and like dude looks like a lady and all these other like uh, uh, Lola, uh, uh, Lola, yeah, Lola, from the Kinks. Okay. Um. No, they're all singing about tra- trans people, trans women, mm-hmm. and they they never got it right in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were they were misgendered. They were they were they were describing somebody who wasn't me. And Lou Reed's song, and I have no idea what Lou Reed's politics are, what is, I, mean, I just know this one song, mm-hmm. right? Lou Reed's song, he seemed like he got it right. He gendered Polly mm-hmm. from the very beginning of this, the song correctly. Polly came from Miami, FLA. She hitchhiked her way across the USA, right? She, 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 her. right. And I was like, well, shit, that's what I'm going to do. When I graduate, I'm going to say goodbye, and I'm going to pack a bag, and I'm going to disappear. And nobody's going to know where I am, and I'm going to restart my life. That's that's what I was, I was convinced that's what I was doing. And when graduation day came, you know, just like the knife in the kitchen, you know, I graduated, and I still had this plan in my head. And I started to pack a bag, and I never never went anywhere, because I was scared. I was scared, not just moving away when you're 17. I mean, that's scary, you know, not just disappearing. I wasn't scared so much about that. I was scared about facing the truth, facing the reality. I'm like, shit, am I actually doing this? Like, you know, and I... Well, and the models you had at that time were not appealing to you, and so it was hard to imagine I had maybe what, what your life yeah. would be like. Holly, from the Lou Reed song, was my model. She just she just got on a bus. She shaved her legs and plucked her eyebrows. And Renee Richards, whose book you hadn't yet found right, at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's pretty much how I lived most of my life. You know, I cross-dressed, closeted. Um, you know, I experimented with that, and that you know got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it would push against the you know the wall of like holy shit, everybody's about to find out, and then. I, throw everything away and pretend it didn't exist for a few months and then it would start to build again you know and I've heard that from countless other people you know where it just builds and builds and builds and then you push back against it and then it builds and builds and builds and you push back I did that for I did that for 40 years um but something ha- something changed uh, <laughs> clearly something changed three years ago where I I began, I began to accept, um, you know, I had a community, an online community of people that I can talk to. The, the internet came out mm-hmm. and I was able to express myself without 
without being out uh, in public and worrying that I was going to get the shit kicked out of me mm-hmm. or or somebody was going to so I knew was going to see me. Uh, so there was this outlet for it, and that outlet was a a big pressure valve release. But it also it's like the slippery slope, right? Once you start um, having a a safe outlet, you want more of that outlet, right? And at some point, I started going down. I had moved up to uh, upstate New York, um, and I had to go down to New York City for medical monitoring for uh, 9/11 related stuff. So I was making regular trips down to New York City. And when I was doing that, um, uh, that was my, my that was my opportunity. That was my chance. I had been, I was married at this point, and I had uh, a young child, I had a baby. And but this was my, my spouse knew I had come out to her before we got married. And uh, she knew, and she was tacitly accepting. Had come out as someone who was a cross-dresser or who was a trans woman? Or... She, she knew it as cross-dressing. I knew it as something different, but I couldn't say it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say it to her. Because it, it would be admitting that I, you know, I, that I wasn't even attracted to her. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but I, I had this approval from her to go release this part of me. Uh, and go down to the city and spend two or three days there. And outside of my work appointments, I would be in FEM the entire time. And this, was, this wasn't my first ex, uh, experience with being out in public. I had done a bunch of it before. But it was the first time that I was able to spend really, like, amounts of time. You know, blocks of time and not just two hours or three hours. It would be, like, days. And it got harder and harder to come home. I didn't want to come home anymore. I didn't want to come back to my life. And in December of 2015, you know, I spent two days in the city um, crying. I just cried. I sat on the piers and just cried because I knew I had to go back to some somebody I wasn't. And I came home, it was Christmas, I came home, and we had Christmas, and the day after Christmas, my spouse and I had a minor argument about something not related to anything trans stuff, and I went out into the garage and had a complete breakdown, and it was the first time in my life where I, I thought that killing myself might be a better alternative to doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um... And then, really without deciding, I just um, found myself walking into the house in a complete blubbery mess and telling her that I was transgender and that I needed to transition. Um, and things happened pretty quickly after that. So <laughs> that's a really short 20-year version <laughs> of how I got to where I am right now. Um I think I think it's interesting to, that New York was like the place you came back to. New York has always been the place I come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I spent the formative years of my life um, in New York City, and then I went to high school in uh, Long Island. Um, I moved back to New York City when I was a young adult, early early twenties. Um, that's when I had my first taste of freedom. I was living on my own, and um, living in Queens. And I was just, I was dressing and going out all the time, 
Well, I wasn't talking to anybody. I wasn't interacting with anybody. I was a ghost in the landscape. Mm -hmm. But the fact that people were seeing me and they were seeing a feminine figure, a feminine person, um, was all I needed. That was all I needed. Um, I, I have a question of, tell me a time when you felt seen. And I guess that could apply to like that period of time, like when you were going out, like just being seen as just a being woman. being seen, yeah. Just being seen. You know, I mean, so like early where, like on. Where would you go? <laughs> so my first experience, my first foray is trying to go out in public as myself. Um, this is so messed up. I don't know how I didn't get murdered. Um, doing really unsafe things, right? Like I wanted to be seen as a woman, but I was also desperately afraid of being seen as a woman. I don't know how better to explain it. Mm -hmm. I wanted people to see me, but I was so afraid of people seeing me at the same time. Yeah. So I would do the absolute worst thing I could possibly do. I'd wait until like one thirty in the morning, deserted streets, mm -hmm. or I would, I would drive to like industrial areas dressed up and then walk by myself. And the thing about doing that now is just be like, you're insane, right? But that's what I did, you know? And then I survived that, you know? And then I wanted one more person to see me. So I would walk out of my house at seven o'clock at night and I'd pretend to go drop a letter in the mailbox. Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, <laughs> the mailman on that street corner got thousands of like, you know, blank postcards or something in the mail with nothing on them. Cause I just wanted to walk out put something in the mailbox and come back just so people can see me, you know? And I was definitely afraid that I was going to, I was going to get, um, get clocked and, and be killed. I really was like, I was convinced this was, this was the early nineties, you know, there was still not the, the, even the marginal acceptance there is today, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I, 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 at that point I knew there was legitimate danger, you know, not just of, of being a woman in the world, but of, of being trans in the world. Um, Did you ever get uh, harassed on the street or beat up or anything? No, I, you know, like, I was remarkably lucky, I think. Um, I think I, I had this incredible privilege of being young, um, being very slim, and just being able to be accepted for who I wanted to be mm -hmm. without people questioning it very much. Um, um, and white. And white, exactly. Yeah, I lived in a white neighborhood. Um, I traveled in white neighborhoods. I didn't go to, I didn't go to, you know, neighborhoods uh, with people of color. I, did, I just didn't do it. Just, again, one of those things I brought from my childhood, from my father, was like you don't you don't interact with those people. Um, I had you know I've I've been really fortunate. I've only had one really scary experience prior to coming out um, when I was out dressing, and that was a bathroom experience. Um, and that that really um, shaped my behavior for even till to this day. It shapes my behavior. I was in the bathroom at Macy's and. Uh, Herald, in Herald Square. In Herald Square. I had met another trans woman from a, um, an online group called My Husband Betty. Um, so we got 
got together to do a day of museum going and shopping. It was one of my New York City forays. Mm -hmm. And I met her and we went to, you know, we went to the, to some museum uptown, I forget what it was. And then we went downtown, had lunch, and then uh, went to Macy's. And we were just, just window shopping. We were just picking up stuff. And she was way more comfortable in herself than I was. I was a nervous Nelly, and people pick up on that, you know. So she left, and I had to go to the bathroom. And, and I hadn't used the bathroom before, but with a lot of trepidation. Like, you know, like you're standing there, and you're like, you're waiting until you're pretty sure the bathroom is empty, mm -hmm. so you can run into a stall. And then you stay in that stall until you're pretty sure the bathroom is empty again, and you run out. You don't wash your hands. That's too much time in the bathroom. And today I decided I was going to wash my hands. So I left the bathroom and I washed my hands and I saw this woman walk in. And, and I saw her just like eyeball me the entire way around me. And she stood right next to me and she's like, oh, hell no. And I looked around and my, you know, my, that shot of adrenaline went through me. And she's like, you are not going to fucking come in here. And, Yada yada, she started calling me a faggot and a pervert and all this stuff. And I just I just wiped my hands really quick and started walking out of the of the bathroom. Uh, her boyfriend, her very large boyfriend, was mm -hmm. waiting for her outside the bathroom. She started calling to him, telling him that there was this perverted faggot in the bathroom. Uh, and I had to walk past him and uh, he started screaming in my face. He telling me he was gonna kill me. Um, and he followed me out into the street and telling me he was going to kick my ass and kill me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I ran, I had, I just had to run and I ran back to Grand Central crying, just like, I didn't know what I was going to do. Like I thought, I, I, I thought I was Frankenstein and I thought the mob was behind me with pitchforks and torches. And mm -hmm. I, I just couldn't get home fast enough to take everything off and just like pretend that none of this existed and I was never going to do that again ever and I was I was genuinely afraid of my life this dude was big and he was mad yeah you know um to this day I still that still informs how I use the bathroom to this day this the, the second a woman like even and I and I haven't had a bad experience in the bathroom in the last three years I really haven't but the second somebody even looks at me, I, I'm like, I'm about to run. Yeah. But I've been really lucky otherwise. Really, really privileged and fortunate. You know, and I, and I know that. I know that. I'm, I'm glad that that didn't go bad. That it was, I'm glad that you got away from that situation. <laughs> yeah. Macy's. I haven't been back to Macy's since. We can make a plan. We'll go to Macy's. No, no, thank you. Okay. <laughs> you change your mind. We can reclaim it. I promise. No, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, bathrooms are such a, like, it's like, it's a very vulnerable position to be It's in super bathroom. vulnerable, yeah. you know? And, like, yeah. Yeah. And I don't even want to get into the bathroom debate because... We don't have to get into the bathroom thing. debate. Um, um, so, what... I kind of want to ask about, like, community and relationships. Um, yeah. And so you talk about how, like, online community was important for you before you felt comfortable being out, outside, and then there were increasing times when you were dressing and, and going in public as, as yourself. And so um, I guess what was it like 
um, what, what were your like relationships that were most important to you in that, in that community and what did they look like? Um, they were mostly on early on, there were anonymous relationships. Um, there are people I chatted to online, you know, um, and it's kind of weird, like, it's not weird, but, um, I wasn't looking for other, other women to talk to. Um, I was looking for men to validate my identity. I was looking to have conversations with men. I was looking to, you know, hook up with men online mm -hmm. just so they can tell me I'm beautiful and tell me I'm a real woman and tell me that um, desirable you know I wanted to hear that stuff I thought that 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 was what I needed I guess it was what I needed back then I needed just I needed somebody to find me not hideous you know and I did I did there's lots of them out there <laughs> there's lots of them out there that will tell you whatever you want age just, sex location <laughs> yeah right so that yeah age sex location ASL yep <laughs> I'm old enough to remember that period of yeah, chat rooms. Yeah. Um, I guess, well, then when was your first time that you encountered, like, a trans or a queer community and, like, found people, like, in person that you that you wanted to be? I will tell you of. about my first experience uh, trying to contact a trans support group. I was living in uh, New... I was living in Orange County. I was living in Newburgh, mm -hmm. New York. Uh, but I hung out in New Paltz, just where I went climbing all the time. And uh, I wasn't had wasn't married. I hadn't met my my spouse yet, my ex spouse yet. So I uh, I looked for a trans support group, and I found one in New Paltz at a um, Unitarian church on uh, Main Street in New Paltz. And I talked to this woman uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, just kind of hesitant to go again because. And I, like, I can't reiterate this enough. Like, I, I, I did not want to be associated with gay people back then. I really didn't. I didn't want to be associated with trans people either. I just wanted to be me. I just wanted to be a woman. Mm -hmm. um, that's how much I carried from my father. Um, but I was trying, I, was, I mean, and, and I knew inherently that that was wrong. I knew that was wrong. But I also didn't want to, I didn't want people to think I was just a gay man at all. But anyway, um, I she she finally convinced me. She's like, you should come. You know, she meet everybody. Um, I'm like, okay. And I was really looking for support. I, I wanted to hear that there were other people that felt like me that were dealing with the things that I was dealing with. And I agreed to go. And I went. And um, it was just her. Um, it was just her with a stack of porn magazines. What? Yeah. And I think she was just looking to have like a mutual masturbation session. What? In the basement of his church. Wow. Yeah, That's yeah. not what you thought it was. I couldn't be. get out of there fast enough. Again, I'm like, I am not that person. I am, that is not who I am. You know, um, I, yeah. Uh, That's disheartening. Uh, just super disheartening. And it turned me off from looking for any sort of community. Uh, I spent probably five years not doing anything, not looking for any kind of community at all. But eventually I did, and I reached out to another group in Poughkeepsie, and it's probably the first trans person that I spoke to, that I identified with, and then I started hanging out with on a semi-regular basis when we'd go, I'd go to a support group, 
there was this woman named Melissa who was just in the middle of her transition and I was just listening to her life saying, God, I can't believe that people, ha people have to do this. I can't believe that people have to go through this shit. Um, but it, it was a group of, of mostly closeted um, cross-dressers. Was, that was mostly mo mostly what it was with, with a couple of out trans women that were transitioning, but it was mostly closeted heterosexual cross-dressers. Um, we would meet up, and they would meet in a Econo Lodge like conference room once a month in Poughkeepsie mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, I did that a bunch of times. They would all go to a gay club uh, in Poughkeepsie afterwards, and I went a couple of times. Um, and again, it didn't feel right for me. Uh, I was a woman going into a gay men, a gay men's club, and all the all the men were hitting on each other, and nobody was paying attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> so it felt kind of weird, you know. Um, uh, so I did. I, I I stopped going. I probably went three or four times, and I stopped going. Um, and then I. Um, I actually can't talk about somebody without adding them, so I won't. Um, but they were integral into, in, in me trying to figure myself out and accept who I was. So, uh, but I can't really talk about them without, without adding them, so I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, so you talk about like the struggles you've had and like what hardships you've had but like at this point now in your life do you feel like they're like what what you get out of being involved in trans communities and like what how that how they've been important to you in like the more recent past if they have been yeah so we keep coming around to this community thing and <laughs> this is a big thing for me yeah. like so I, I live in Keene New York like I live in the northern Adirondacks there is no community here um, you mean there is no trans community there is no queer community in Keene. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there are some really young kids in Saranac Lake who have a little network of, you know, and um, Kelly Metzger is a very out and vocal tra trans woman in Saranac Lake who really tries very hard. And Saranac get. Lake is, like, nearby but not immediately close to Keene. It's 45 minutes away. Yeah. Yeah, it's a 45-minute drive. It's not close. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, she tries very hard to, to build a community, but it's just everybody's so spread out, and there's so few people. It's just a numbers thing. There's so few people here. Plattsburgh has a, has a, a small LGBT community. Um, I've never been a community person. I, I, I don't, maybe I just got turned off from early on from that one experience, and I just... Um, I, I've never felt the need to have to go, and so, so I'm going to be honest, and, and um, it may or may not sound really bad, but every time I would go to some version of a support group, um, even after coming out and in the middle of my transition, and, and even now, and I go, and it's 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 comforting on some level to be around people who are going through or going through stuff that I used to go through or are currently going through, but it's also, um, it's also soul sucking. There's a lot of pain in that community. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of 
heartache and to be to be surrounded by it it can really really like take em emotional energy out of me mm -hmm. uh, and I have a hard time dealing with that I have a hard time with go going to support groups and then still trying to I don't know that they serve a really good purpose, you know. I know they do, but I have a hard time maintaining a connection to to support groups. Mm -hmm. I I go to one in the Hudson Valley now and again, in uh, in Kingston. And it's hard. Most of the most of them are very young. Most of them are nineteen, twenty years old. They're still living with their parents. They're dealing with. They're not dealing with how to raise a child while you're trans. They're not dealing with like. You being know, trans in a rural place. Right. They're not dealing with, you know, met, you know, finding decent medical care being trans. They're not dealing with that. They're dealing with, like, how do I get my mom to stop calling me he? You know? You know what I mean? That's what they're dealing with. Yeah. Um, and that's important stuff. It's just not what I'm going It's not for. relevant for It's not relevant for me. You so, and your stage yeah. of life. So I find myself offering support and offering guidance and just offering, a, you know, a shoulder to cry on but I'm not getting a lot of that back mm -hmm. because you know because nobody's you're in you're my spot. you're being a mom again yeah I guess so I guess so um but but I mean I have I have all sorts of empathy for what those people what they're going through mm -hmm. and I want to support them but I but I only have so much emotional energy to yeah. give. and You have a young child and you have all these other pieces yeah. that we've talked about too. Yeah, and plus it's so far away. It's just so far away. I mean, this community in Albany, that's two hours away, but it's just hard, you know. Um, yeah. How do you, I mean, how do you think trans communities have changed over the years? I mean, obviously like, the support group, I'm using air quotes here, in, <laughs> in New Paltz, in the basement of the church, is probably unlikely to be encountered. Uh, yeah, that was bad. That was bad. How have they changed over the years? Yeah. I, the, well, the trans community clearly has changed, you know, since I grew up, you know. And I think, and I experienced this with, with a couple of other trans people that I know that are my Your age. closer to my age, yeah. is, you know, they're... they're their vision of what the world is and how the world reacts to trans people was informed by their experiences in the 70s and the 80s, you know, uh, when we were growing up. Yeah. And it was something to it, keep quiet, you know, it was something to, like, don't announce it to the world, mm -hmm. you know, don't walk around with, with a sign that says, I'm trans and I'm proud. It's like you you accept yourself, you transition, and you move on with your life, you know. Um, and the people I see today, the, the you know the young people I see today that are coming out, um, I'm so happy for them. I'm so happy that they can uh, they can accept who they are. They're proud of who they are. Mm -hmm. It's not just this like, oh, I guess I have to accept this. They're like no, fuck you, this is who I am, and it's awesome, you know, and it is awesome. Um, I still struggle with that part, you know. I still struggle with that part. I'm glad that people can can own a trans identity and be proud of it and mm -hmm. walk it every day, you know. It's awesome. I feel like that gets kind of to something that we had talked about 
in June when you came down to take part of Trans Day of Action and then also other stuff that was happening for Pride Month. And we talked about, yeah, for you, the difference between going to, like, a trans rally versus going to, Pride like, March. a Pride March yeah. and what and how you feel, like, differently about those two different things. Yeah, so I've 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 made this I've I've talked about this to a few different people. You're one of them, <laughs> and is is my my um, feelings around pride, and um, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, it's 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 really complicated, and it's changing. It's evolving as you know as I go on in my life. It's evolving, but. I'm not proud of being trans any more than I'm proud of having a cleft palate. You know, something I was born with. Mm-hmm. It's something that has made my life extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that has, you know, I've hurt people with it. You know, I've hurt because of it. Um, you know, I've, I've messed up other people's lives because of it. You know, my daughter will have to, will have to explain shit to people for the rest of her life because of it i've incurred you know tens of thousands of thousands of dollars in bills and medical expenses i'll Mm -hmm. be on medication for the rest of my life because i'm because i'm trans it's not something i'm proud of it's just something that i am um you know i'm proud of being a good parent i'm proud of being a good friend to my friends i'm proud of um you know being a good you know, being the best far stranger that I can be. Those are the things I'm proud of. I'm mm-hmm. not proud of something conditioned that I was born with. Um, and, and I think in that in that way, it's a little different than being proud of being gay or lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how to explain that any better, but... I mean, I think one, one question that I had was, like, do you identify with LGB communities, so lesbian, gay, bisexual, or queer communities, and maybe you do, and maybe you don't, and maybe it's different being trans in those spaces that are, like, that big, big umbrella versus, like, just a trans space. Yeah, and uh, so like I said, all this stuff is changing <coughs> as my experience grows and as, as I accept new people and, and new experiences into my life. Um, I don't identify as gay. I don't identify as being a lesbian. Um, I don't identify with being queer. Um, queer has a very specific meaning to me um, that other people may or may not hold. Um, I'm kind of a soccer mom. <laughs> you know, like... Um, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty, like, again, air quotes, normal, like, queer is this notion of, you know, to me, it's this notion of, like, rebelling against everything normal, mm-hmm. Rebe- rebelling against the, you know, society's expectations of you, you know, and that's awesome for people like, that like, are. Like, the quote, queer, not queer as in gay, but queer as in fuck you, and, like, kind of wanting to, like, basically, yeah. change the entire yeah. system. Um, so... <laughs> So I, um, yeah, I don't identify with that. Um, I have tremendous empathy, and my empathy has grown since I've come out mm-hmm. for other people. My empathy has grown for, for people who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, 
queer, people of color, Native American, non-binary, non-binary, people with disabilities. Yeah. Like my empathy has gone through the roof for these because now I I don't know I just I don't know how why it has it just has and I'm able to have compassion way more compassion than I used to have mm -hmm. you know um, about it and having different experiences too you know going to uh, um, the the queer drag thing with you in oh Bushwick, yeah the the um, you know we went to Bazaar in Bushwick yeah Bazaar Bushwick. They like they like to have like place names in these interviews so that you can like put like connect them and yeah. link the physical place. So we were at Bizarre Bushwick and we saw the Fuck You review, which is like very performance art queer burlesque, um, co-produced by my friend Zoe. And so, yeah, you yeah. want to talk about that experience? Yeah. So again, I was down for something. Sorry, I'm playing with the pen. <laughs> I was down for something, and I am not one to go to. You don't go out to bars. Places. You don't, you I don't, don't go, go to clubs. To, I don't go to clubs, bars. I don't do any of that stuff. You go rock climbing. I go rock climbing. And yeah. Hang out with your daughter. I hang out with my daughter. Um, so I was down visiting Rachel, visiting you, and um, you were like, hey, let's go to this thing. And I'm like, it sounds like fun. I've never done something like that before. And the moment I walked in the door, I'm like, these are my people. <laughs> I feel comfortable here. You know, for the first time in my life, I think that was the first time in my life that I felt mm. comfortable in an almost exclusively queer space. And I'm using, now I'm using the word queer to denote anybody who's not cis het, right? <laughs> um, everybody, everybody was freaky. <laughs> everybody <laughs> has a version of freak going on that mm -hmm. night. And nobody seemed to care. I didn't feel like the Frankenstein. I didn't feel like the only weird person in the world like I often feel like up here you know mm -hmm. um and that was awesome I wanted more of it I wanted more of it I didn't want to leave that night you know I thought about it for a long time afterwards it was really good um you know and then going to the um the trans day of action last again I'm you know I'm not a huge political activist uh I never was I'm becoming more and more of one now um so going to the the um, the joy before the rage thing uh, at the at the LGBT center before the trans day of action this this year uh, was super empowering for me. Being around a group of trans people who are t have control of their lives and they're taking back their own power uh, and they're demanding you know demanding. Um, what's due to them, you know, what they deserve. Housing rights and medical, All access to medical care. All and of it. Protection from job discrimination. Yes. Yeah. Um, so empowering. Do you, do you feel like you're seeing yourself in relation to other, like, social and political movements now that you've, you've yeah. come out as a... I, I, I am. I, um... Like you went to the women's march in two thousand and sixteen. I, I, I yeah. Did I you had, go in twenty sixteen? I went in twenty sixteen. It was, um, was it January of yeah. twenty sixteen. It was January twenty seventeen. That you went to twenty seventeen because oh yeah twenty seventeen of course because it was the, yeah. the day after the inauguration. I had um, I'd only been out half a year, um, so I was still just really early on in my tr transition. I often, I didn't feel like I was accepted in a lot of women's spaces. 
not that the women's march was a purely women's space at all there were you know but i took my daughter t um, down to see some friends in boston and uh and they they have a young daughter too and we decided that we were going to go to this thing um in 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 downtown and uh and so we so we got on the train and we went to downtown and we got out of the subway and I was just I was amazed at the power the power of seeing what was it half a million people in in Boston I don't know it was a lot of people wow um, and I was just I I felt like I belonged there um, demanding you know demanding uh, to be seen as a woman for the first time you know and in a in a sort of an angry angry like you're gonna listen to me kind of mode you mm -hmm. know um, as opposed to that like hiding i want to be seen but not be seen i want to be invisible but i want to yes. only be seen as a woman yeah. but at 1 30 in the morning or yeah. seven o'clock at night but not on a yeah. saturday morning and that's really exactly helping how i go about my days now like you know or, Earlier on in my transition, I just wanted to blend in. I wanted to pass. That's all I wanted to do was mm -hmm. do all the things necessary to pass. Do you um, think that had to do also with, like, staying in the same place and transitioning? Um, that, like, you felt like you really had to push people's understanding of you as a woman because it was the same people who knew you right. before transition, and it was the same community and the same job, which I think is kind of unique that you transitioned in the community that you were living in the household that you were living in and yeah. and also staying in the same job yeah maybe that's unique i don't, I don't know um, um yeah i needed people to see me as a woman like unequivocally and now that i'm comfortable you know i don't uh, how do i put this um i guess i'm just not so worried about people thinking whatever they think of me. Um, I, I'm not so worried about always having my voice at the perfect pitch or walking the perfect way. I'm not, you know, those, those things are, those things are so ridiculous to have to worry about all the time. You know, um, there's other stuff to worry about. There's other stuff to worry about. And I think visibility is super important. I've come to realize that people with privilege need to fight for people who don't have that privilege. They need to help. They need to, and the way they help is by being visible and by fighting visibly. Um, not, you know, not being afraid to um, get called out because you're at a trans march or because you're hanging out with, you know, these you know, sex workers or, you know, recovering drug addicts or whatever the case may be. Like, you know, I'm a middle-class, white, gainfully employed trans woman. You know, I have all sorts of privileges that lots of trans people don't have. Mm -hmm. And by hiding in my own existence, I'm not helping anybody. Um, so, I'm, you know, and I think the only thing that I can do is be visible to my community, to the people who maybe like subtly, you know, think that like, well, Robbie's okay, but those, you know, those black trans women who are doing sex work down in New York City, like they're just kind of like, they're not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. we are the same thing. Yeah. You know, um, 
so yeah I, I don't know I don't know how else to use how else to do that again I'm so removed like you know I went down the trans day of action yesterday you know uh, this year and there were you know like I think we saw like two other protests that day while we were down there it was like your protest du jour in your like New York City like you just yeah. pick your pick your battle and you can go fight it can you, you know? can you imagine if keen had like not as like a trans day of action but like a pride like a lgbtq pride event do I they have do they have them no i think the closest one is plattsburgh which is an hour away it's the closest one yeah if, the closest if, pride march is an yeah. hour closest pride march is an hour away um it'd be super awesome like yeah it would be <laughs> I'm looking at Robbie right now and making eyes at Robbie to say, well, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe I can, you can do start something. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm curious also, like, well, yeah, being transitioning in a rural community, like, one thing that we often, that they, like, suggest that we talk about is, like, access to um, medical transition and kind of, like, how, how you were able to access that. And, and I think... That's also a thing that intersects a lot with rural life yeah. is like access to medical care. Yeah. Um, my access to medical care um, it was really good in one sense because, you know, um, I have good health insurance. That's another one of my privileges is I don't worry about health insurance, you know. Um, so, so I, you know, I knew that my, uh, my um, mental health care it's covered. I knew that once I got, you know, I got letters from my therapist that my hormone stuff was going to be covered by my insurance. I knew that, you know, I wasn't worried about that. Because the state of New York says we will cover our employees' transition, medical transition. Um, yes and no. Um, yeah, I guess mostly yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was worried about whether they were going to cover surgery, uh, my bottom surgery, because um, that was such a big bill. You know, how can you not worry about that? But I wasn't initially, I mean, so I wasn't worried about my, my of the affordability of it or being able to do it completely. I struggled with my access to it. Um, my therapist was an hour and a half away. Um, I was the, the closest therapist that I could find who had any experience with gender issues at all uh, which was marginal when, when I first started so she, had, she had only had one other patient um, she turned out to be amazing and I love her to death but um, that was an hour and a half it was a three hour round trip drive to go see a therapist for 45 minutes so that, that was challenging yeah my endocrinologist was two hours away um, to go to go see him uh, that was challenging um, there are no doctors up here who have any training in transgender health care. None. Um, there's none. So Planned Parenthood now does transgender health services. And that is my, that's my godsend. You know, I go to them for my trans health care. They don't offer primary care. So I still don't have a primary care doctor who knows anything about trans issues. I... When I do go to them, I explain to them what it is that... You basically diagnose yourself. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't know I had. I still had a prostate. Like, 
you know, like they just don't, they just don't know. They don't know how to care for me. You know, they don't know that I still need prostate exams. You know, so that's hard. That's hard to explain to your doctor how to care for you. You know what I mean? Like how to care for you. Um, yeah. So my, my access, my, my ability to cover it was really good, but my access has been difficult. You know, my, my surgeon was in Pennsylvania, so that's six hours away. Um, so. Um, do you want to talk about, do you feel like you've ever been discriminated against at your job? Um, either because of your gender or like other aspects of your identity? Or in school. I mean, it's job or school, but I, I guess I'm more thinking about like transitioning while yeah. staying in the same job. Yeah. So I work for New York State. I'm a New York State forest ranger. I work for the Department of Environmental Conservation. Um, very, very masculine field. Very hyper macho. Uh, I think, I think the force is about twelve percent um, women. Um, we were just having Rachel and I were just having this conversation. Um, there are there's no no people of color right now. There's no openly gay people out of 150 forest rangers across the state. There's no no openly gay person. That's just statistically not probable. That some somebody in there is just not is just still in the closet. Yeah. Right. Um, and I was a ranger for 17 years before I came out. Um, I never experienced discrimination. Again, I was I hit everything. And I heard everything that people, you know, that all the guys I work with, all the homophobia, all the transphobia was pretty rampant. Um, forest rangers are police officers um, under the New York State Penal Law. We're police officers. And law enforcement has no love for gay people or trans people or queer people. And I know that. Um, and I didn't say anything because I was definitely afraid of somebody calling me out if I stood up for somebody if I said hey you probably shouldn't tell that joke or you shouldn't talk about trans people that way you know I was so afraid of being found out that I just kept my mouth shut and do you feel also like before you transitioned like you were involved in like like people would tell like anti-women jokes in front of you oh absolutely yeah I remember uh I worked down the Hudson Valley um the DEC split up into nine regions. So I worked in Region 3 in, in the Hudson Valley, and the Adirondacks is Region 5. And I remember when I first came on, there was a woman working down near me. She had taken a transfer up to the Adirondacks, and all the men, there was no women working in the Adirondacks. They took up a very vocal campaign um, that said, we don't want any chicks in Region 5. Wow. This is a this is state this is state you know civil service this is state employment yeah they were very vocal about it we don't want any women in region five region five was male only like they told her, they told her that to her face like um, that's the I mean that's the kind of stuff that I mean it wasn't directed at me but it you know you heard it I heard it I knew I knew it was out there you know when I needed to, if I needed to transition at some point I knew it was there. Um, so that, so then you transitioned. Well, then, so then I transitioned and I was, I was pretty convinced that I was going to have to quit. Like 
I was, this is, so I came out before gender was passed, but New York State. Gender, can you say what gender was? Gender is the Gender Expression Non-Discrimination Act that was passed um, this, year. this year. Just passed 2019, took 2019 years to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> sure. Um, but New York, but. New York State uh, government employees are protected under New York State policy for state employees. There's no discrimination for all these protected classes, and gender identity was one of them. So I knew I was protected legally, but they couldn't just fire me because I came out as trans. But nobody, but, you know. What was your life going to be like after What was my that? life going to be like? Being a forest ranger means that you have to rely on the people around you to come help you. When you're when you know when you have an incident going on in your area, um, you have to have pretty good relations with the people around you. You have to network with all the local law enforcement agencies and the fire departments. You work a lot. We work a lot with fire departments. So, fire fire service is another you know very masculine, very macho macho culture. You know there are very few female firefighters in the volunteer fire service anyway. Um, so, and I, I just, I knew that all those relationships were going to break down and I was not going to get any respect. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do my job properly. So I just assumed that I was going to be socially pushed out of my job. That was one of the things when I came out, I'm like, yeah, you're not going to be a ranger for much longer. Um, and I was pretty surprised by, by the reaction. Um, which was overwhelmingly positive overwhelmingly positive um there's a lot of ignorance out there and ignorance doesn't necessarily mean discrimination or phobia it just means ignorance you know um I, so I, i've had to do a lot of education and that is that has been met mostly with open ears somewhat with defensiveness like you know um people telling me after three years of of being out and living my true identity that they need time to get used to calling me she, you know, I'm like, dude, it's three years. <laughs> if you don't get it in three years, you're not going to get it, yeah. you know? Um, so, th so there's a, a little bit of that, you know, I don't get that with any new people, you know, I don't get that with people I meet on the street. I don't get that with the public that I interact with for work. I don't get that with new rangers who come on now with not knowing me before. I only get that from the people I work with who knew me before, you know. And it's mostly the men. It's all the men. Yeah, it's all the men. The, the, the women have been um, super accepting and like almost, almost from day one, pronouns were an issue mm -hmm. almost from day one they were like you know they included me very early on in a class on a, a class action grievance we had uh against our department for not giving us um uniforms built for women's bodies uh, they were just giving men's uniforms uh and that was happening as i was coming out and they were like do you want to be part of this i'm like fuck yeah i want to be part of that you know, it's ridiculous, you know, here, here's a uniform, it's clearly built for a man, but we call it unisex, so that means it's supposed to be for both, mm -hmm. it's not for both, 
<laughs> unisex uniforms are built for men and women just have to deal with it. Yeah. You know, and I struggled a lot. Like I became a vocal um, critic of my department and my union. Even the union wouldn't back us up at first. Um, the, the union president or vice president. Who's a man. Who's a man. Who is the most liberal, progressive ranger on the force. Just, just for perspective here. When this got brought to him, he was like, we have much bigger issues to deal with. You having to wear that uniform is not a big deal. Don't worry about it. So I said to him, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to use his name. I said, listen, friend, to me. friend, <laughs> yeah. listen to me. What do you think would happen if the 123 men on this force were tomorrow given women's clothing to wear to work? Do you think they'd put up a stink? And he was like, okay, we'll put it through. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, like you, how can you not see yeah. that this is biased? Like, well, but and you said too, just just moments ago about how like transitioning has had has led you to like have more empathy and to recognize how individuals' struggles, though different from yours, are are important and and real and like are and need to be supported by yeah. those who have privilege to do it. And so right. I think sometimes it's just. You're right, ignorance, like not necessarily thinking outside of your own experience to understand how someone else might feel. Yeah, and I think, you know, like some of the things that I benefit from being trans for at work, you know, I spent 17 years um, presenting at work as a man and I spent most of my life socialized as male and uh, accruing the benefits of that. And one of the benefits is being able to speak my mind and having people listen to it, right? So I think that's something I still hold at work is the the men at work. I have no problem getting in their face and speak and speaking my opinion and expecting my my opinion to be heard yeah. and respected. Um, and a lot of a lot of a lot of the other women on on my force don't. Like, they're not as aggressive with, with getting their opinion out there and demanding it to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something that, that I carry over from from being identified as male, you know, by everybody else. They still, they still see that part of me, and I still use it very liberally at work, you know. Um, but now I use it for a different purpose, <laughs> you know. Like, th- this isn't right, this is why it isn't right, and you're going to change it, and you're going to listen to me, you know? Um, I mean, that kind of makes you think a little bit about one of the questions um, was, have you had experiences with police, law enforcement, which is just, like, the generic question, and yeah. I think it's interesting to think about, like, your... I want to hear your thoughts about it, but then also, like, thinking about how your privilege as being a member of law enforcement of as a police officer like how you can maybe show and share your experience with them in order to help them to understand what it means to be a trans person interacting with law enforcement 
So let me start this conversation off by saying that I have not had any negative experiences with law enforcement myself, either in my past life as, uh, you know, presenting as male or now, um, outside of the, you know, smoking dope in the woods in high school and getting chased by the cops. Like, mm -hmm. outside of that, I've had no negative interactions with law enforcement. Um, but I'm kind of a rule follower, too. <laughs> Um, so I don't, you know, I don't find myself in situations where I'm going to be challenged by police, you know. Uh, I was raised by my parents to, like, police are to be respected, their, their word is to be, is to be followed at all times, that's how I was brought up, you know. Um. And as, like, a white boy, air quotes, you were given, like, the benefit of the doubt, probably, in oh, cool. yeah, yeah. by I, other yeah. white I know all of that now. I, I didn't know that back then. You know, I, I bought into the whole storyline of like, you know, um, cops are good. You people are bad. You know, like, mm -hmm. you're only getting in trouble because of you, you know. And it wasn't until that building of the empathy, right, that, that I was able, I'm able to see things differently now. Um, I know that a law enforcement community has a sy systemic problem with homophobia transphobia and racism i know that i'm around it all the time i hear it all the time um it's also very misogynist you know it's all it's all, it's, it's all the it's, it's all the things it's all the phobia it's yeah. all the bad things all the trumpisms right um but i also know that i'm one of them and this is something i've only recently really begun to has, has really begun to bother me is is how the law enforcement community interacts with the trans community. Um, I know how people feel. You know, I've been on, I'm on Facebook groups where I hear trans people and queer people saying that you know, like, and so so some of this, most of this started with me with hearing about police presence at pride events and how there's this movement to remove you know, the police presence from pride events because of, because of the history and because of the ongoing bias that, are, that is occurring. Yeah. So prior to that, you know, gullible little old me, I'm like, well, the police are really trying hard. You know, they're really trying hard to be our friends. Like, we should really, come on, let's bury the hatchet and be friends mm -hmm. without really understanding, like, they're still fucking with people yeah. while, they're trying to, while they're trying to say, we want to be your friends. They're still raiding places where gay men go to hang out you know like they're still doing that shit you know people i work with do that now today they go to places on long island that are frequented by gay men and try to arrest them for like indecent public dis you know what i mean like yeah. they wouldn't do that to straight people you know I, and i know that so like i'm becoming aware that like my my privilege has blinded me for a long time and now I'm becoming aware that like there's really valid ex reasons why um, the trans community should be at the very minimum really leery of police and the law enforcement community and I feel like something that I really want to look into I heard I um the podcast from NPR interview with a woman in Philadelphia, I think, who 
Um, is doing a lot of work on um, the the law enforcement community and the trans community and trying to help law enforcement develop um, good policy, right? There really is no policy for law enforcement that gets zero training on how to interact with the trans community at all, you know? And I, I feel like that's something that that I could do, like, like, I can, I can work with my department at least to, to help them become aware that this is a problem, you know, like, what, <laughs> so one of the things that happened uh, before I came out, just before I came out, it was probably a few months before I came out, um, we, so, uh, so part of my patrol district has um, an area, we have a conservation easement where trails cross this private country club. And the country club has a guard that sits there and basically talks to everybody who goes through the gate, right? And they have their own special rules. There's no dogs allowed, there's no bikes allowed, yada, yada, so, so on and so forth. Um, and all those trails lead to my state land. So when there's complaints, I have to go deal with them. So this guard who's, who's, <laughs> who's all the isms, who's all the phobias, right? He calls me one day and says, you know, I need you to come down here. Uh, somebody tried to sneak a dog onto the property. I need you to write them a ticket. You know, I'm like, all right, whatever. I really don't like this guy. I don't like interacting with him because I know what he is. I don't like being around it. But I have to. It's my work. So I have to sort of, like, put the face on. This is before I came out. And so he's got the two people sitting, the two women sitting in the room. And I walk in and I look at them. And then I can, I, you know, I, I see quickly that one of them is a trans-identified, uh, uh, trans-feminine person, right? Um, so I'm like, okay. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, this is before I really became aware of you know, the law enforcement slash trans community interaction, you know, but I'm going to, I have a lot of empathy for this person, you know, I'm going to do the right thing and be, you know, uh, do, um, do my best to respect them, you know. So I took them outside, I asked for their, their IDs, I took them back to their cars, and uh, they gave me their ID, and yeah, they hadn't changed their gender marker or their, their name um, yet. Oh, it did start a new one. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so, um, so I got this. I got their ID, and they hadn't changed their gender marker, or uh, but they were clearly presenting as feminine. Yeah. Um, so I treated them with respect. Use use the right pronouns. Yada yada. Um, and I, I had to write them a ticket because they were clearly trying to, you know, break the rules, right? So I wrote them a ticket and sent them on their way, and I went back up to to uh, the guard so he can write down the information that he needed and he looks at the name and he's like and the the id the versus ID, the present and he's like that's not the person that i had in here i'm like it is and he's like no i had a there was there were two women in here I'm like yeah yeah one of them was a transgender woman and he's like what uh, so i had to explain to him I'm, i said you know she's 
identifies as female, she's going through transitions, she hasn't changed her gender marker yet, she hasn't done any of these things yet, and he's like, they can't do that, that's, 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 uh, giving a false name, she gave me a false name, and, like, you can't do that, like, she has to be arrested, I'm like, calm down, she doesn't have to be anything, like, like, he was such a jerk about it, right? But a, here, a guard, not an actual police officer. He's yeah, he's a he's police. a he's a peace officer. Okay. Air quotes. We're using air quotes. But again, so this is like months before I came out. Mm-hmm. So I left that that encounter saying, "This is what I'm going to deal with." Yeah. People who who think that I should be arrested because I'm using a female name now. You know what I mean? Like, um. So so that was um an early on experience with law enforcement and the trans community. And what worries me now is that, you know, um, I get gendered correctly by the public, you know, and I've, I've run into other trans people at work. I know I've run into other, to, to other queer people, you know, as members of the public that I'm interacting with. Mm -hmm. And I hear how, I hear how much, the, the trans community and the queer community, um, I don't want to say use the word hatred, but they have they have a lot of angst about the law enforcement community, a lot of valid trans- fear, valid fear, right? And when I stand in front of them and I'm wearing a gun and I'm wearing a uniform, they don't see forest ranger; they see a cop standing in front of them. And I hate the thought that that person is looking at me and detesting me. Mm. You know. Um, they may, they may not be reading me as trans and might not be reading me as queer. They're reading me as a cop, you know, and I don't, I, that really disturbs me on, on, on my level. Like, cause are you concerned that like you are negatively impacting them or just that they're making this assumption about who you are? I feel like they're making an assumption about who I am, you know, um, and their assumption might be valid. Like, you know. If you're a, a person who's had lots of bad experiences with police, you're gonna you're gonna tend to be expect the bad experience with yeah. police, right? So then you can give them, I mean, positive as positive as it can be that you are interacting with them. Or I did like the last person. You know, they were out camping. Uh, um, there was a a queer uh, one queer person. Uh, at least one queer person. I don't know what the other person was, but at least one, one queer. They, I mean, there were pride all over the place, rainbow things, and you know, all the things. Pride. <laughs> and so I'm interacting with them, and they were nice enough, but I wanted to just let them know. I'm like, hey, happy Pride Month, by the way. And they're like, oh, thank you, thank you. And we just yeah. like high five and stuff. It was great, you know. Yeah. But I, but I really want. I really think that this is one area where I can use my visibility i can use the privilege and the power that i have and try to affect some change at least in my sphere right i want to work with my department to develop policy about how to treat not only uh other people on you know in my agency who come out as either queer or trans um but how to deal how to interact with the public you know, and not just develop policy, but develop training. You know, policy does nothing without training. If there's just a stack of paper sitting on some supervisor's desk somewhere and the field personnel don't see it, it, it does nothing. You know, 
there has to be training behind it, you know, and that's that's really what I want to what I'm hoping to focus on in the last years of my waning career. Waning what? <laughs> Not waning. Um, I guess I just had like two more like. Well, one more thought area and then, like, one more question after that. Okay. So this is the Transolar History Project of the New York Public Library, and, and the the encouragement is to interview someone who has a connection to New York. And we've talked about, like, you growing up there and then younger experiences and kind of, like, your pull back to New York City to be in, in communities and be in spaces that, like, feel right. welcoming and affirming. Yeah. And I guess, is there anything about your connection with New York City that we haven't talked about? Um, and maybe if you want to talk more about about your connection to New York City that would be interesting um growing up in New York City I always knew that I was a I was a I was a mountain girl you know I always knew it (laughs) you know when I was young I was cutting out pictures of forests and mountains and I was tacking them up on my wall you know the kid who I'd never left the city until I was 15 years old or yeah 15 years old Uh, never left New York City you know I never went upstate for a vacation, you know. Um, I mean, I I thought Lake George was like, oh my God, this is wild, Lake George, right? The town um, of Lake George, which has like lots of restaurants and amusement park and like outlet malls. Oh yeah, it's like tourist central. But um, still is next to a beautiful lake. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I wanted to leave near a city to in the mountains. Being the mountains. The mountains are ultimately where I where I feel like I belong, but I I crave that social. I crave that that culture. I crave the difference. The diversity is I miss. Mm-hmm. So any chance I get to go back to the back to the city, even if it's for one day, like I I, I leap at you know. Um, but my connection to New York City is not all fuzzy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, um, I, I worked 9-11, um, two years after becoming a forest ranger and I'm up in the woods working in the woods and all of a sudden I'm sifting through, um, smoldering debris, you know, looking for bodies, looking for people, looking for evidence. Um, and I have permanent health effects from that, um. And to this day, I've tried, I've tried to go down to Ground Zero three times since then, um, and I can't do it. Um, I can't, I can't get down there. I get a couple blocks away, and I'm just overwhelmed. I'm overtaken by panic. Um, I had a view of the Twin Towers from my bedroom window. Um, growing up. Growing up, yeah. When I lived in Brooklyn in Greenpoint. And before all the big condos were built on the, on the waterfront. On the waterfront. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would lay in bed as a weird, weird kid. I would lay in bed and imagine, I, I, I would imagine them falling down. You know, just, to me, they were like towers of Lego blocks. Mm-hmm. And I would just push Lego blocks over, right? And I would, and I would imagine what would happen if they fell over, you know? And when I actually saw that happen, uh, I felt really guilty. Mm-hmm. I felt really guilty that I had engaged in some childhood perverse pleasure of wanton destruction. Of course, that had nothing to do with the actual 
No, but I felt horribly guilty, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and that was an iconic symbol of my childhood, you know. The Twin Towers were, that was... Because they were fairly new, newly built. They were. Um, and they were, they definitely, people had strong opinions about them and like yeah. how they impacted the skyline and how large they were. And Yeah, I think they were finished in 73 or 74, mm -hmm. somewhere in there. Uh, I remember my mother taking us up to the top of one of them um, really early on. I was super young. Um, yeah, they just, they, they, that was New York City to me. Mm -hmm. And to be there cleaning up the mess, um, I don't, I, I, New York City is not the same to me. How has New York City changed over the years? And that, I mean, that could be like a touch point for Wow. How has New York City changed over the years? Greenpoint is not Greenpoint. I'll tell you that. It's a different Greenpoint. Oh my gosh. You, you never find, what was it, kombucha <laughs> in Greenpoint? <laughs> now you find it all over the place. Um, There's still like Polish markets. And there totally is. Yeah. I was there not too Polish long ago. Polish restaurants. With and... you, Ashley. Yeah. There not too long ago and uh, saw my house it's very small now <laughs> I saw you know I, I looked in the window where I first secretly put on my sister's dresses yeah you know it's brought me right back there you know um, it's it's I think New York City has changed in so many ways like uh, for good and for bad you know like New York City was gritty when I was growing up, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, w it had, it had, that's something, I don't know, it, it had crime, it had dirt, it had all that stuff, but it had something, um, it's pretty spotless now, which is good, I, mean, I guess if you live there, but if that's your, if that's your memory of the city is like, it's like, you don't get on the train after dark. <laughs> you don't go in Central Park after dark, you know, like... Um, don't go in McCarran Park after dark, or maybe... Oh, um, yes, yeah, McCarran Park, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, we, there were nightly gunshots in McCarran Park uh, from, from the, from the north side, um, which is actually the south side of the park. It's kind of, I don't know why we call it the north side, but anyway. Um, it was the north side, of, it went to the north side, side of Williamsburg, Williamsburg yeah. right? Duh. Just put that together. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also changed. But also, like, there's no swimming from the piers in Greenpoint. Like, you talked about, like, talking about people, like, jumping off the pier. And, like, yeah. Never, yeah, never yeah. quite doing that. Or, like, the freedom also that I think kids had still in that time to, like, go and play in the street. Yeah. We were, I mean, I, I remember being seven years old and my best friend and I would steal uh, subway tokens from our mom's purses mm -hmm. and we'd sneak out of the house and go down and catch the uh, the L train and go into New York City. Seven years old. Nobody questioned that. Nobody questioned two seven-year-old kids wandering around the streets of Lower Manhattan ever. And our moms didn't question it. We never got questioned about where we were, you know, like... We just were not in the house. And they didn't seem to care, you know. It was it was a different time back then, for sure. Not saying it was better or worse. It was definitely different. But, but, but I mean, it's different now for me in that 
I, I use it for different purposes. I use it to get a sense of community now. I use it to, to see people like me, to talk to people like me, to hear people like me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do that back then, and I can appreciate that now. Um, I can appreciate that the community is so big in New York City and have such immense like awe of it. You know, um, and it's like a, a friend of mine um, described to me. Um, they said, um, "If New York City now, uh, I'm I'm messing up the quote, but she it, it was basically a reference to if New York City is is the current day of um, trans acceptance and equality, upstate New York is 1950." Mm. And it's pretty true. Yeah. I think it's pretty true. You know, I think that was a really um, apt description of where things are in terms of like access to care, in terms of access to support, mm-hmm. all those things. It's just, it's just not here. It's in New York City. Yeah. Um, before we end, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you? No, I think we did a lot. I mean, I can I can talk all night. <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty sure people don't want to listen to me all night long. So we'll end it there. It's been super, super exciting to do this. Thank you. Thank you, Robbie. Yeah. This was awesome. All right.